0: Welcome to Always Believing God, where we encourage you to increase your faith. If you want to hear real life stories of defying the odds and holding on to God during life's greatest challenges, listen and be blessed. Remember, Romans 8.28 says: when we love God, things are not working to hurt us. They are working for God's. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Always Believing God. This week, I have a treat for you. I have a, a friend named Katoria, and she has been more than welcome to share uh, some of the testimonies in her life. Um, but a quick recap it's been a while since I've been on, maybe about three weeks. Um, you know, it's amazing that, and Katoria could probably appreciate this, ever since I started. This whole journey of trying to create this podcast, Always Believe in God, uh, focused on Romans eight twenty eight that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and who are the called according to his purpose. I started it, and as soon as I started it, it seemed like all hell broke, broke loose against mm-hmm. my life. My first episode, my daughter interviewed me for my salvation journey. And that same daughter, less than three months after that, I believe, that particular episode, she ran away from home and she was gone for six months. Fast forward, so many things have happened to just last month, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And every time I make up my mind to keep going forward with this platform, to gather testimonies that can encourage my heart, encourage your heart and encourage anybody who listens, I feel like the enemy has just been fighting against my family. So in the name of Jesus, I'm going forward for his glory and for his honor. And I just want to thank Katoria for joining us today. Um, She's in the medical field and she's also a writer and she's gonna share about her book a little bit later. But right now I just want to introduce to you, Miss Katoria, Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. Um, If you want, you can share a little bit of your background. I don't want to say more. I want you to share your background, and I will just ask questions as we're going along the ways, what God has led on your heart to share with our listeners and viewers today about your personal testimony, your experience with God Almighty, and how he has made a difference in your life.
1: Amen. Um, you asked me to start, I'll, um, start, uh, my salvation actually started, some would say it was very young. Um, but you know, when you encounter God at a certain age, sometimes that's the beginning and the process, the middle piece you don't always get to. Um, of course, you know, you're growing up in a a single parent family. Um, single parent family, you know, being, you know, brought to church, that kind of thing. It doesn't necessarily embed a relationship, you know, with Jesus until you, you know, you start, you know, going, going through life. I what got saved. I'm sorry. Go you, ahead.
0: Were you brought up in the church? I mean, like, yes.
1: Um, my grandfather is actually a Baptist pastor, um, had a church in New Jersey. My mother was a deaconess. Um, but if I can, I think my some of my earliest childhood memories start around five and six years old, um, and it was around six, you know, six to seven, I was being molested, but five and six, we left Jersey from with my grandfather who had his church there. We came back down to Fort Lauderdale and that's where, um, cause I'm, you know, born and raised in Fort Lauderdale. Um, but that is where, you know, my mother who actually... It's a lot. She's a recovering drug addict. But at the time that I was coming up, she was on drugs. And we were living, you know, with my grandmother. And then I had a lady who they told me was my godmother. And I went to go and live with her. And it was there where the molestation started. Um, You
0: said that was 585?
1: I was about six or seven, six or seven oh. years old. Yes, ma'am. The molestation started. Um, but uh just as God would have it, I had a they had a neighbor and the neighbor was a Jamaican family, um, uh, seven day adventist, and they would take me to church with them. Nice. Um I I don't know if they knew, you know, you know, what was going on or whatever in the home. Um, but I did spend a lot of time, you know, at their house and going to church with them. Um and then by the time my mother got clean, of course, um, came off drugs. She got back custody of us when she was around 32. I was probably eight at the time. And then that's when, you know, she would take us to church.
0: So you were living with your godmother at this time, yes. correct?
1: Yes, ma'am. Okay.
0: And the Jamaican family next door, just to make sure I'm understanding the story, they're the ones that invited you to church. Yes. Or at least for a couple of years, you were there. Until correct. They got clean. So Correct. was your mom addicted to drugs from, the, as far as you know, from the time you were
1: born? From the stories that I, you know, elderly folks don't always time you know, tell the truth into after the fact. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I the
1: see. stories that I were told, it seems as if it were so, because I was told I did spend the first six months of my life in the hospital, in the incubator. And even after my mom had discharged from the hospital, I was still in the hospital, um, you know, being cared for. So, so I was- go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead.
0: No, so I was going to say, i just want to stop you. So even then the Correct. hand of God was on your life from birth. Correct. And, and I, and I want to bring that up because you know, I'm an adopt, I, I'm, a, I have adopted children. I always like mm-hmm. to say I'm a parent via adoption and my children have suffered from their biological parents being on drugs. And I always say it's just a miracle when God brings children through those type of situations. But I see you sitting here. So even though you were born in the same situation, look at you now. I mean, that's a miracle.
1: Right. right.
0: From birth. From birth. Yes. And then you still had to go through the hardship. So, okay. So you went to live with your godmother at age six or 7
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, okay, continue. <laughs>
1: No, but that's where the introduction, I would say for me, um, the the church introduction was from that family next, you know, next door. They were faithful about, you know, bringing me to church. Um, And then our, you know, even the memories of being in their house for Sabbath and everything and us, you know, at the piano fasting and everything, you know. Um, so those, I would say that was more so of a foundational, even though my grandfather was a Baptist pastor, that kind of thing. Um, that was like the foundational memory of, you know, being brought up in the church. Um, but fast forward, you know, life okay. happened a lot of in between happened growing up. I don't think you want me to get into that, but I got to Tallahassee at 17 for college. Um, okay,
0: got, so let me, let me stop you. Cause I want to okay. get there. So let's go. So you're So because i don't want us to skip over the fact okay. that okay that is definitely a major impact in your life because everything in your life is then impacted from there emotionally your development at uh, teen years all the
1: childhood was very tumultuous it was very tumultuous um even after my mom got us you know she got she got clean she got us i would me being the eldest child you know of course the burden of responsibility would happen helping with the rearing you know of the children how um how
0: many siblings do you have how many a total
1: of four siblings? i'm the oldest of uh, wow. two other sisters and my brother my brother he's the second oldest um but even then i do recall telling i told my grandmother and my grandmother at the time that hey this person, you know, was molesting me, was, you know, bothering me or whatever. They didn't believe it. Um, my mother had actually came home one night, and I remember this. Um, she was high, and they didn't believe her. She believed me in that moment when I told that, hey, you know, somebody's bothering me. Um of course, you don't know as a child to call it molestation. But when you told, you know, that you're being molested, somebody's bothering you. My mother at that time, even though she was still on drugs, she believed me. But my, you know, grandmother and the, my godmother, they didn't. Um, So it kind of got brushed under the rug. Kind of got brushed and under the rug.
0: You, so you live with this. I mean, yeah. you disclosed it to your mom. She kind of believed you. But you didn't have anybody to talk to
1: about this. No and nobody to fight, nobody to talk. My father, the person who I was raised to believe, you know, was my father, who my mother tells me is my father. He was in prison, federal prison, for selling drugs. Wow.
0: Okay. So you felt, did you feel alone and isolated from the time you understood that this was inappropriate?
1: But, yes. but I, I, Somehow, you know, you know, it's inappropriate and it shouldn't have been happening. Um I would say around the time that I was 12, um, you know, when you get into psychology and repressing thoughts and repressing memories, that stuff is is, is true. And it wasn't until then that I started having flashbacks of what looked like a film of stuff replaying out. And I would sit there and I would say, who is that girl? And it was me. And it was also around that time that I started writing poetry. I started writing. So that was my way of released inventing venting. but it definitely the so rejection, the abandonment years, kind of thing. Your said again,
0: years, 12, 13 yes. mm-hmm. So you started writing since then. Yes. Wow. Okay. So that was a way for you to kind of work through the pain. Correct. What okay. Correct. Um, so as you're dealing with this pain now, you're twelve, you're thirteen, and I want to get to when you're seventeen. Did anything so you you were going to the church with the Jamaican family from seven, eight?
1: Yes, know. up until my mom got off drugs and she got back custody because then we had we moved with her.
0: Okay. So you moved away from that family.
1: Mm-hmm. So your
0: foundation of going to church with them was done. Then your Correct. mom gets off drugs and you start going back to church with her at this point Correct. as well. Mm-hmm. But still, at this time, I mean, you're still, of course, dealing with the trauma of the sexual abuse. You're working it out during your writings at this time, as you're developing into your teen years. What would you say was your relationship with God, with Christ, during these teenage years?
1: I would say at the the preteen, I can't say necessarily that I had an active relationship, but I can tell you that I, around sixteen. Around 16, I remember that um, sometimes when I would be left at home and, you know, the house, I would be in the apartment by myself, folks would be gone. I always would end up in worship. Didn't know it was worship then, but I would always end up in worship and prayer and crying out. But I didn't know that's what it was.
0: And so you're going to church are you Mm -hmm. active in the church or you just kind of
1: not like active like in a youth ministry or anything like that but just more so attending with my mom on the Sundays
0: okay so now we can get to that 17 what was what happened when you're 17 you leave home to go to college is that correct
1: came um to college um and then of course college life but I remember I got I would say my salvation didn't happen until I was around nine, 19, um, but 17, by the time I turned 18, after my first year in college, my um, father had got out of, my biological father had gotten out of prison. He called, um, and then I found myself, you know, in, in, in the college life, I was um, using weed, I was smoking weed. I'm not really drinking like alcohol, but definitely smoking, um, smoking marijuana. And it was in that time I began to tell myself, you know, the addiction with the course, you know, running the course in my family. And then when it started to, I felt like it was, I won't say it was controlling me. I felt like it was controlling me. And at the time, that's when I then started going, nope, thank you, Lord. I was working as an LPN, I was working as an LPN at the time um, and I remember being at work one day and a very weighted feeling came upon me to just pray and I would be at my med cart and kneeling down at my med cart pretending as if I was looking for the medications for the patients but I would bow my head and I would be praying. So Even you, were,
0: was, you were using drugs at this time as an LPN?
1: Correct. Not using drugs, like, you know, marijuana, but I was, okay. you know, using. I was on, you know, to be to the impact of the story. Yes. Marijuana. I was using marijuana. Yes, ma'am.
0: So while, well, and you're an LPN and you're looking correct, correct. At the medicine part and recognizing correct. that you can help at this moment in life. Correct. Well, I'm just curious. Was your mom, did your mom realize which, And you're away from?
1: My home? mom, we did not have a, a relationship like that. When I came to college at 17, I came to college, Tallahassee, I was by myself. I don't have any, didn't have any family up here. Um, and I came and it was such a, a thing of, I didn't want to be controlled, not necessarily controlled, but I didn't want the responsibility of still having to provide for the family, take care of the family. Cause like I was working and paying bills at a very young age, you know, even though I was a high school student. So I di- I didn't want to go through that. Um you were
0: looking you were you were enjoying your freedom because you always felt like you were in bondage to having to be there to look after your younger siblings. Is that right?
1: And my mother and I was looking And, the, you know, even in my first year of college I was still sending money and stuff back home that kind of thing.
0: I understand. Okay. So you're at the cart at the medicine cart and you like Yes ma'am.
1: Um and the burden like I said I remember um Just something, just saying, and I was, and like I said, I would get down, you know, pretending like I'm looking for the patient's medicine, and I would start praying. Um, But it was so heavy that I got up. I remember going into the bathroom, running the water, and praying, and pretending like I was using the bathroom and running the water, and even then praying. And it was a um, a co-worker of mine who had invited me to church with her um, that one Sunday. She invited me to church with her and I went to church with her, this was like a Friday, the Sunday I went to church with her, Um, I remember going into church, and you know, being in the pew seats, and you know, standing there listening to the pastor, and everything, and I was led to the altar, I went to the altar, and then that's when the salvation, that's when the encounter happened, Um, got to the altar, I remember, you know how they, you know, we, they, you know, the to come down they're praying you know the laying of hands and he came by he had already anointed me he had moved on but he came back and he mm-hmm. came back and he spoke into my ear he said out of your mother's womb you were chosen and then right. after that I don't remember anything else other than being saved
0: so so were you did you start attending church when you went to school in Tallahassee? Yeah.
1: Not the regularly, but I would, yeah, not regularly, but I, but I would, um, I would, but not regularly. And, you know, I, I need to backtrack cause I failed to mention this part. This is an important piece okay. because I got the, um, like I said, I got to Tallahassee at 17. Um, the first year, the first year of college before, like I said, my father called me at 18. It was around that time that I had a suicide, I, I attempted suicide. It was when I did attempt suicide. Um, it was a summer, the summer in between class uh, sessions, and I attempted. I took a bottle. I took eighteen um enteric coated Tylenol gel capsules.
0: What and was your thought process. What was going on?
1: What was at the time? It was almost like a a a, a pipe, a pressure. You know, pressure build up in a pipe with all that stuff. You know that I had went through. I get to college, and like I said, I'm up here by myself. Um, and this happened before, like I said, the encounter at work. And I'm up here by myself. Um, you you self-medicate with marijuana, and and then, but it, that's not the answer. You know, I didn't know then that that wasn't the answer, but that that wasn't the answer. Um, but I took 18 gel capsules, Tylenol, trying to end my life. Um, but it didn't work, obviously. <laughs>
0: And did you ever share with your mom that you were in a place of despair? I know she wasn't there with you in college,
1: but at that particular time I had to, when that happened, um, because I ended up going to work that morning and I wasn't sick, but everybody noticed something was off, something was off. And a very close friend of mine, she and I were in college together and I told her what I had done and then they sent me to the ER and then I was baker acted. And because I was baker acted, they had to call my mom and then she had to she I was there for the 72 hours. Um, but she had to come up with her boyfriend. So I had to tell her then. But even then, I don't think she connected the dots of what was going on kind of thing. Because even in that, I still, you know, stayed silent. Like I wasn't the overcoming of, you know, of what happened to me. That still didn't happen at that time. So I still stayed, stayed silent about it. But I do recall, um, God is good. When I was in the, in the um, psychiatric place, Baker acted. And, you know, they take us in. They take your shoestrings and everything. There was a young man. I can't remember his name, but this one young man, and it had to be an angel of the Lord because there's one young man in there. He came to me and he wrote me a poem and he began to speak about God to me, even to the point that he took me around to each picture in the psychiatric place and always, and he would point out how everything referred back to Jesus. Wow.
0: Do you remember this young man's name by any chance?
1: No, I can't remember his name, but I do still have the poem. I actually keep it away, tucked away, but I do still have the poem that he wrote.
0: Wow. Even when you say that, and we're at a distance, you know, you're in Tallahassee, I'm here in Fort Myers, I, could, I feel like the Spirit of God, like that really was, like God confirming that that was an angel that was sent mm-hmm. to you, and he wrote this poem for you. Yes. Wow, that's awesome. So, have you ever been able in t- to get in touch with him again, or that was it? It's
1: just the that poem. was it. Honestly, that was it. I remember he was a slim, you know, dark-skinned black man. He had thick black hair, but that was it. But he he wrote a poem on a little blue notebook paper and gave it to me.
0: Wow, and that gave you courage and strength
1: mm-hmm.
0: in your Baker Act Okay, all right. So fast forward. So now you've had the suicide attempt, and then this friend invites you to church,
2: mm-hmm. and you're
0: at the altar. you know that you need God no matter what out of this whole situation. And the pastor anoints you, I'm assuming, and goes you to the next people. And then he something, the Spirit of God speaks to him again. So he has to come back around to you at the altar. And then you said you didn't remember what happened.
1: I do remember him repeating jeremiah twenty nine and eleven to me where out of the um you know out of out of the mother's womb you were chosen, and he re- repeated that I didn't know, you know, of course, now, looking back, but he repeated that to me um and then that was that was it that's when my salvation happened, and of course I went on to get baptized and everything so
0: and then you I'm assuming you ended up attending that church
1: yes, yes, ma'am
0: okay so you know, um, I didn't know that we would have this much in common. <laughs> I really didn't know because, oh, there's so much to say. And, and I know the hand of God is upon your life. And, and I appreciate you doing this interview. And I guess the things that I want to highlight for the listeners is one, that God's hand was truly upon you before you were in your mother's womb. And he knew you by name and nature. And it's awesome to me that while you were being on that psychiatric hold, he would send somebody to write a poem for you. And did that young man even know that you were a writer? I mean, you see how to me, that is so unique on the thread of God upon your life. He didn't even
1: know I wrote poetry at that.
0: And and that left such an impression that something that you keep. So it was like, God was really speaking to you, the essence of who you are, your nature, Mm -hmm. knowing that, Writing is something that you enjoy and he would write a poem. For, to me, that's like God writing the poem to you, using a yep. young man, but God actually writing the poem and encouraging yep. your heart. I didn't
1: think about that, but that is it. Yeah.
0: That, that's awesome.
1: That's and personal. You know,
0: that is so personal that he knew you by name and nature and he knew in one of your darkest hours how to get your attention through a poem by an unknown person that you've kept to today. That's awesome. But the fact that, you know, my children are also adopted and their biological parents and the drug impact on their lives has come full circle to us right now. My daughter suffered a major uh, mental breakdown where she also had to have that psychiatric hold and now, thank God, I believe she's turning around, but just all of the thoughts that, you know, life is messy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for me, you know, at one point in time, my husband and I, we talked and we said, we didn't have biological children. And we said, well, maybe we made a mistake. Maybe we should have said, okay, God, we're not having, able to have children, just left it alone. And we wondered why are we going through all of this with our children via adoption? but it just shows me different angles, you know, cause God came back and redeemed your mother's life. And you're able to see the redemption of your mother's life now, mm-hmm. correct? Correct. And, and, you know, I'm praying for the redemption of the biological parent of my children as well, because I do believe that I told them, I said they need to pray for their mother. They need mm-hmm. to pray for their biological mother cause God can redeem any situation. So how's the relationship between you and your mom
1: right now? It is totally better. Um, You know, growing up, like I was telling you, we didn't have a relationship. Um, I got married, had my own child and everything. And I think that kind of shifted it. Um, But we kind of didn't start getting on a mending path, I'll say, until after like 2008. Um, and it's because then the Lord had um the Lord spoke to me and he told me that there will come a time, you know, that the that the way he the how I saw it in the dream that we would be sitting out talking. So I had to learn my to myself, you know, walk in forgiveness. And then I had to reprocess on how I, you know, saw things that even, you know, I went through all of this. She took me through all of this after, you know, she got clean herself, you know, 32. She still had some growing up to do not only, you know, in life, but also in the Lord. Um, And she had a very, you know, uh, crazy, you know, childhood as well. So it, you know, it took some time for her You know, I guess you can say I was mature enough to understand it that, you know, that my role wasn't just as a child, but also, you know, an ambassador for God in her life kind of thing. So I had to walk in forgiveness. And I think, like I say, post 2008, things took a turn and now she comes up for Thanksgiving. She comes up for Christmas, that kind of stuff now. So.
0: And, and and what about the, the abuse, the sexual abuse? Have you worked through those issues? Are you still working through those issues? Have you been in therapy? I,
1: I tried therapy um, back before salvation, suicide, and it did not go well. <laughs> it did not go well i spent a lot of time you know crying more so like because they were bringing up the things and a lot of my issues that they brought up in therapy weren't just the abuse it also stemmed to my mother as well um so that didn't that didn't go well but fast you know forward um I'm now at a point that I feel like, you know, I can talk about it openly, I don't talk about it and feel shameful, you know, I don't talk, I don't speak about it from a point of victim kind of thing, or I'm still a victim, Um, the only thing that I can say, and I shared with my daughter here recently, that it didn't, you know, affect my parenting style to more so where, you know, you're Extremely overprotective because the I will always pray. You no, know, the things that I went through, I didn't want my daughter to suffer through those things because I knew how it affected me growing up as a teenager, as a young adult, that kind of thing. And I didn't want her to have to go through that. So I can say that even at that time that every now and then it comes up, but I'll be reminded of something and but it doesn't affect me the way it used to. It doesn't affect me the way it used to. And I'm, op- I'm open to talk. It's easy to talk about.
0: And I, I also have dealt with that in my past, but I've never been in therapy for it. And I, one day I'm hoping that maybe I need to work through it. But for our listeners or our viewers, what would you want to share with them regarding that? Particular, the abuse?
1: There isn't anything that suffered unto man that God has not already, you know, he saw ahead of time kind of thing. and. We are overcomers, you know, by our testimony, you can't explain why it happened. You know, you're not at fault for why it happened. Um, but you do have to be mindful. It's almost like grief that you don't grieve it too long kind of thing, because then it can become a, 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 a one of those little foxes that the enemy can use to bound us. And if we are overcome by his blood in the words of our testimony, it is a testimony because it will break others free because there are a lot of people who can't even, you know, process or move forward even in their salvation because they are still, you know, under the shadows of what they experienced, you know, whether they were molested as a child, raped as a young adult kind of thing. They're still because it is a violation. Um, so, it takes time, give yourself grace and time, but also most importantly, to know that God, even as he's forming us, you know, like clay, he is still, he's shaping that he's shaping that part of us. Um, and it's not because God was absent or God was silent, you know, that those things happened either, you know, but it's, it's a shaping and a forming. And as we know, and as you said earlier, all things, you know, work together for our good. Absolutely. Well,
0: Thank you so much, Katori. I am going to come back and interview you again because I think the story is so rich. And I think we just kind of did a major overview of your life. Um, and I think that you probably have tremendous testimonies after yourself. Yes,
2: um,
0: but we'll take it one step at a time. Um, I appreciate you. I thank God for your life. And I know that God is faithful. I know that he took all the bad in your life from birth, having a mother who had some addictions and some struggles as a result of her own hardships when she was younger and that she was able to break free by the power of God and that you came to a point in your life where you were struggling, uh, you endured sexual abuse, you ended up going to college and you tried to commit suicide, but yet the hand of God was upon you you went to a psychiatric unit <laughs> and God sent a, an angel to write you a poem to encourage your heart. To I'm just thinking of all the ways that God showed up in your life. I'm looking at the thread, the Jamaican family that lived next door when you were seven or, and and going through your abuse and invited you to church and gave you a place of uh, safety and refuge and reprieve.
1: Even He even uh, re- brought me back to them.
0: Oh, he, you were able to reunite with them yes. later in life and sure yeah. and, and, um, tell them how much you appreciated them and uh-huh. what they did in your life. And the fact that the angel spoke to you in your psychiatric unit, the friend that came along and invited you to church in her boldness and took you to church, the pastor who under the anointing listened to God and came back to you as you were at the altar to allow you to be set free once and for all, to know that God's hand is upon your life from the beginning, from the very beginning. Thank you very much for sharing this testimony. And I said, Katoria uh, is a writer, so can you show your book? It's Conversations and Prayers by Pretoria Stewart. That's beautiful. Um, I'm just imploring you to, if you're listening to, to, is it on Amazon, I'm assuming?
1: It is, yes, ma'am.
0: Okay, so that's Conversations and Prayers by Katoria Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T. Please, 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 I'm asking you to pick up a copy, and I'm sure that you're going to see the hand of God and everything that he's done in her life through her writings. Um, Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you, Katoria, once again. And I will invite you back on again to share a little bit more of your testimony. Is there anything else you want to share with our viewers or listeners before we sign off?
1: Yes, ma'am. Just be encouraged in this season that God is still in the redeeming plan and he has a plan for your future.
0: Amen. There is hope. Mm -hmm. Remember all things. Yes. The bad and the ugly. Work together for good for those who are called, who love God, and who are their called according to his purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. Be blessed, okay. everyone. Yes, God ma'am. bless you, Cateria.